May I behold my true self in others, that I perceive thee ever enthroned in our united hearts. At the heart of my whispered prayers I feel stirring thy silent whispers. In the light of my burning candle of devotion, I behold at last thy sacred blaze of perfect love. O Divine Mother, unite our hearts as one heart, so that on the sacred altar of united hearts we may find thine omnipresence enthroned forever. Now this is such a such a beautiful time of year. I love to kind of try to feel the, the waves of, of upliftment coming from all the, the holidays, some of them secular, some of them uh, very spiritual. I kind of take it back to last month. There's Diwali and there's Thanksgiving and then this month we have Hanukkah and last Sunday's Christmas concert. Thank you, musicians. I was so beautiful. And then this Thursday is World Brotherhood Day, and then call day Christmas meditation, and then Christmas, and then the wave keeps coming and with New Year, which is secular, but still there's a definite wave of consciousness there that can that we can ride on, that like all the other waves, to to grow and and climaxing in the birthday of Paramahansa Yogananda in early January. It's a wonderful, wonderful time of year to try to, to tune in to some of those waves, even just one of those waves, because it, gets, it becomes easier to, to practice living in the Divine Presence. Of course, we're always living in the Divine Presence, but it becomes easier to know that we're living in the Divine Presence, to be aware that we are, because it's so easy to miss out on that. You know, you think back to the, the readings of today and that passage from the, from the Bible of, you know, when that you know, you gave, I was naked and you gave me clothes and etc. Um, it's a nice thought to be seeing your actions that way, but how do you feel it? How do you really perceive it as, as the truth and not just kind of a point of view you've taken on? Or the the Gita reading of, you know, watching God constantly. You know, how do we do that? How, how do we keep from, from losing our attention so regularly as we do? And really there's only one way. That's patient, persistent practice um, with a lot of grace on the side. But this is, this is how all of our growth happens, really. We want to see the dramatic moment, and sometimes there are dramatic moments, but most of the time it's just patient, persistent practice. And Swami Kriyananda said that patience is the shortest route to God. Doesn't sound too glamorous, does it? <laughs> you know, it doesn't sound like the 4th of July kind of fireworks, but patience is the shortest route to God, or patience is also a route to uh, marital bliss. I just read a quotation the other day from uh, a woman, a Japanese woman who is 100 years old and just celebrated her 80th wedding anniversary. Her husband is 108. 
years old, and somebody asked her the obvious question, how? And she said very simply, it's thanks to my patience, really. <laughs> and you know, I was listening just yesterday to a talk by Mother Teresa, who was talking about the, the Bible reading of, of this week. And uh, she had, this was just shortly after she had received the, the Nobel Peace Prize. And she was, you know, it's such a talk about patience, incredible life of patience. Not only what she was doing on a day-to-day -day basis, but, but after that initial burst she received in the beginning of her service, or, or actually prior to the beginning of her service, uh, when, when Jesus came to her and told her what he would have her do, uh, she really didn't have spiritual experiences again for the rest of her life. And it was a long life, quote unquote, spiritual experiences. She was having a spiritual experience on a day-to-day -day basis in one sense, but she just had this long, long, only, could only be described as a dry spell um, in the midst of all her constant, constant activity for what she was doing. And somebody asked her once, in, in reference to not the longer cycle, but the shorter cycle of just what she did on a day-to-day -day basis of helping the poorest of the poor, who were so often dying in the, pro in the last few hours of their lives, and uh, asked them, how can you do this? And, and she said, coming to that Bible reading again, she said, in this body, as in all bodies, I, I see only Jesus. And this talk I was listening to, she um, told the story of one of her nuns who had picked up, as they often did, a dying man from the street. And it was a difficult scene. She picked him up, and a lot of his skin stayed on the street uh, from his back. It just wasn't coming, and she took him back to their home and cared for him and cleaned him up. It took a couple of hours. His body was just all infested with worms, and uh, he died with a smile on his face. And after he passed, and had this woman, this not young nun, had been attending to him this whole time, and Mother Teresa came up to her and said, what did you feel? And what did you feel when you touched that body? And she said, Mother, I, I never felt the presence of, of Jesus. But this time, I really, really knew that I was dealing with the body of Christ. Now, how do you get to that point? You get to that point through a lot of, lot of times really, really not knowing. That's what you're doing, but choosing to take the perspective that that is what you're doing. Now, so much of our life on the, on the spiritual path is just choosing to take a perspective that is different from the perspective that the rest of the world has, that is different from the perspective that we may have had for all our lives. 
thinking that we knew the way things are, and we're just being open to a different way, not just open to, but embracing, actively practicing a different way of seeing what's involved in our day-to-day life. And so many stories of, of saints you hear, they, they put in the time too. They put in the labor too. They have the patient, persistent practice. I remember uh, reading a, a, a transcript of a talk that, that Paramahansa Yogananda gave, and he was talking about the power of visualization and how he, hard he had worked to develop his power of visualization. He would sit in a room and he would practice memorizing every last detail of the room and closing his eyes and trying to reproduce that in his mind's eye. And he practiced and he practiced until he could reproduce every single detail of that room. And he said, most people don't have the patience to do that. He said, I had the patience. And it's really inspiring to read the stories of people who have the patience, who have the, the persistence to keep on practicing until they make the breakthrough. One of the things I love about the, this particular topic of Sunday service that always reminds me it's time to read Frank Laubach. Most of you know about Frank Laubach, some of you may not. He was a Christian minister, a missionary in the 1930s, he was in the Philippines. And uh, his book, by the way, is called Letters by a Modern Mystic, Letters to His Father While He Was Doing This Service. And he was put among a population of Filipinos who were totally Muslim, and he didn't speak their language. They were not interested in what he had to share about Christianity. And he couldn't communicate with them. His family was not with him. He was all alone. He had some time on his hands. And what he decided to do was to practice the presence of God very with a great deal of patience and persistence. And he would, uh, he would try to have a constant conversation with God. Now, how do you do that? I mean, God doesn't always have a lot to say, uh, or at least not that we can hear. But he just decided that he was going to speak, and when he couldn't speak, in a rare occasion when he was with someone else, uh, he would think, but try to keep that conversation going in his mind and try to have God do most of the talking. And of course, a lot of the time, he was just making it up. Of course he was, in the beginning. But as time progressed, it started to feel more and more there were things coming through him that he hadn't made up, that, that were coming from somewhere else, from another consciousness, God's consciousness. And he started to feel it as a living reality. And in time, as he learned the language, he was able to start serving the local people, not as a missionary so much as someone who could help them become literate, learned to read and write, he began to be able to do the same thing 
inactivity, to feel that it wasn't just a matter of thinking or even speaking on God's behalf, but acting on God's behalf. The whole principle, really, or one huge principle of karma yoga, just feeling that you're not doing anything, that God is flowing through you. And so one of the things that's so beautiful about his story is he's so normal. You know, you read stories of, of some other saints, and he certainly was a saint. But you read stories of the, the famous saints, you know, like a, you know, a Saint Francis or a Yogananda or many others. You think, I can't relate to that very well. But you read Frank Laubach and you think, maybe I could do that. Maybe even I could do that. And it wasn't easy. And it, it's so beautiful the way he presents it in his, in his book because it's, uh, he's so open about his failures, about his inability to do this. His, his goal was to do it all day long, every day, every minute of every hour of every day that he was awake. And he was very frank about his continual failures to be able to do that. But he was also very frank about his continuing improvement in his ability to do that. And it's very, very inspiring. One of the things I remember most about him was even that book. It was a story that told by one of the, the ministers here, Catherine Kairavi, whose parents were missionaries also. And they had an opportunity to go to a big conference of missionaries uh, at which Frank Laubach was in attendance. And the, uh, Frank was asked to give the, the invocation, the opening prayer at this gathering of missionaries. And, the, and Catherine's parents said it was so, so striking, it felt like his prayer was simply turning up the volume on something that was already happening inside of him, allowing people to listen to the conversation for a while and then turning the volume back down. That, that was his prayer, but it was just something that was constantly going on in him. How did he get to that point? Well, patient, persistent practice. But the thing is, he got there. He got there from a very unglamorous, unsuccessful start, which is the same place that we come from. Very unglamorous, unsuccessful starts, but he got there with that patience. Speaking of patience, I just uh, read a, a very interesting definition of patience the other day. It says, patience is what you decide to have when there are too many witnesses. <laughs> So, <laughs> sometime, many years ago, I remember Swami Kriyananda um, saying to ga a gathering like this, or asking a question of a gathering like this, he said, what, how would you, what would you call a sound that began before you were born, had never stopped happening till this moment now, and still not, not stopping. And in all that time, that sound had never changed. 
said, what would you call that sound? And nobody answered. Uh, uh, and he said, you'd call it silence, wouldn't you? Because you, would ha you wouldn't have the reference point of the true absence of all sound. Your only reference point would be that continual sound that had always been happening. Of course, that is the sound of own, the, the sound of all creation, as Master called it, the motor of creation, that creative force that constantly is creating and sustaining and dissolving this universe. And this is a sound that we can learn to hear if we begin to shift our perspective. Shift our perspective from the constant sounds that we're being exposed to. And those are not just the sounds, not just the outward sounds of the world around us. That's the least of it. The biggest sounds, the most distractive sound, distracting sounds are the sounds that are right in here. When we sit to be quiet and the thoughts just keep on buzzing, all with their own unique volumes and insistence on being recognized. And to get to that point where we can actually hear that sound of OM, the sound of our own being, it's not out there only, it's in here. What does it take? It takes relaxation. It takes concentration. And it takes deep, deep listening. To not get distracted by all those sounds that are constantly changing. We're so, we're so attracted to change. We're addicted to change. We're identified with change. As Swami put it, he said, that's the reason we perceive time. The passing of time is because we are identified with change. And as I was reflecting on this question that Swamit asked, I thought of a similar question. And that is, what if there was a living, loving presence that existed before you were born and has never stopped existing all the way through this present moment and all that time had never changed. What would you call it? Of course, everybody in this room would call it God. But I don't think most people would. They would call it not a presence, but an absence. Right? Because it's just so what you're so accustomed to. It becomes your baseline awareness. And if we are going to have a chance of turning our, as Master put it, turning our conception of God into perception of God, we need to do something very, very similar to, to what we need to do in order to hear the sound of Om, the sound of our own being. We have to relax, concentrate, and, or you could say, listen, but really the word is more feel. It's to feel in the heart for that presence. And with a whole lot of patient, persistent 
practice to turn our moment-to-moment experience of life into, if not every moment, at least more moments of feeling that living, loving presence. And it does take practice. It does take a lot of practice, but what else do we have to do with our lives? You know, earn a living, take care of a family? Yeah. And that's all part of it, too. To try to tune in to that, that loving presence of God in our lives through just that, that stick-to-itiveness of constant practice. You know, this next Saturday, this coming Saturday, we have the eight-hour meditation, the eight-hour Christmas meditation. Saturday the, the 22nd this year, because Sunday's the 23rd. We usually have it on the 23rd. But in order to have a Christmas Sunday service, meditation gets moved to Saturday this year. Now, I know that probably most of you in this room or at least those of you who are coming to the eight-hour meditation. There was one last weekend. There was one yesterday online with Ananda. There's, there's, there's no real reason to totally miss the eight-hour meditation in Christmas time now that we have three opportunities to do it. And I know that some of you who are coming next week will just be able to sit eight hours straight, not even opening your eyes, not having thoughts, not having other desires, completely solid. Some others <laughs> might have to get up and stretch once in a while before they sit back down and go immediately into deep meditation. <laughs> You're laughing. But a few of us might find our mind wandering now and then from time to time during, during that period. And what are we going to do when that happens? I'd like to suggest, if you don't already do this, planning in advance what you're going to have available to you when that happens, when the mind just isn't cooperating or the heart just isn't cooperating the way you'd like it to. Have in mind what you're going to do at that time. Maybe you're going to memorize in advance and just repeat over and over to yourself a master's poem, God, 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 or his longer poem, Samadhi. You have time, you have a week in order to memorize it. It's not that hard. It's not that, or maybe you'll do something more uh, specific to the season. Maybe you'll memorize the Sermon on the Mount. Maybe you'll memorize the St. Francis prayer. Or maybe you'll memorize your favorite of the whispers from eternity. Or maybe you'll practice healing prayers for others when you just kind of need a shift out of that meditation mode because the mind isn't cooperating. But plan in advance what you're going to do and have a backup in case you change your mind to something else so that you can be in that place of 
as constantly as possible listening, feeling, whether it's during meditation practice or during a time that the mind has wandered a bit. Because that can be, that, that meditation can be the biggest wave you feel of the whole fall, winter season because you're with a number of other people who are trying to catch the same wave and who, are, in fact, are helping to generate that same wave that you can ride even as you help to generate that wave for other people so that more and more we can feel that living, loving presence through this season and going right on into the new year and continuing our patient, persistent practice so that we can experience more and more of God in our lives, more and more of God's joy, God's love, however you feel it. Let's together tune in and take our spiritual life to a higher octave. Bless you. From the depths of slumber as I ascend The spiral stairways of wakefulness I will whisper, whisper God, God, God Thou art the
joy comes singing evermore. God, God, God. In, in waking, eating, working, dreaming, sleeping, serving, meditating, chanting, Constantly hung, unheard by 